It's good to be with you this morning. I'm kind of home in that I, I grew up in Greencastle. That's where I'm from. And um, I get situated here. So I grew up in Greencastle, and I've been in ministry now 20, going on 23 years. Um, I have a, a foundation built in this city in that um, I was a master's commission at First Assembly from 1997 to 2000. And then after I left master's commission, I went straight into missions. So I went from master's to missions, and it all, it all started from a missions trip. This is why it's so important not only to give to missions, but go see what your missionaries that you're supporting are doing. And so we went on a missions trip to Southeast D.C., and um, I didn't know any better. Uh, we got there, and I took off, and I went for a walk to pray. Uh, didn't know how bad the neighborhood was. And the, the, the missionary said, where's Jay at? And, he, and, and Susie said, well, he took off. He went to walk and pray. When I came back, that missionary chewed me out. He said, you can't just leave here and go walk Go for a walk to pray. You're in a bad neighborhood. And I said to him, well, I thought as long as I was talking to Jesus, I would be all right. God's not giving us a spirit of fear. He's giving us a spirit of love and a sound mind. And we did ministry there for three days. And as we're come, heading back to Indiana, I heard the, the Lord say, you're going to work with that missionary. And I said, no, I'm not. Lord, did you see how bad that neighborhood was? It's not Greencastle. And so I lost, ended up moving out there in June of 2000. I went in as a missionary in training. I was only supposed to be there two years. I overstayed my welcome. I was there for four years. And as I began to pray and ask God, where do you want me to go now? I wanted to go to Gary. That's where, really where I wanted to plant church, but, but that door was not open, and so I ended up in East St. Louis, and I've been there now 18 years. And, and uh, the first church that we planted in 2006, that pastor is still with me 17 years later. And then when we launched our Hispanic church in Washington Park, that pastor has been with me now 15 years so I don't know what we're doing, but we're doing something right to keep people that long. You know, years ago when um, I became a new Christian, I was at a Noble Romans Pizza and I was ordering some food and I was looking around the restaurant and I seen this guy over in the corner and the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, you see that guy over there? I said, I do. He said, that man's going to take his life tonight and I want you to tell him about me. Well, I, I got real nervous, you know, because I was a new Christian, and, and, and the thoughts were in, inside me, is this you, God, or is this me? Because if this is not you, then I'm going to look foolish. But I can tell you how you know when the Holy Spirit's dealing with you, because it doesn't go away. Your heart begins to pump faster. You begin to feel the burden. And so I went up to this young man, and I, I began to talk to him, and, 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 and as I began to talk to him, I, I just came out with a question, and he said, yes, he said, I have a shotgun in my truck, and I was going to take my life tonight after I finished eating. Well, that evening changed because he ended up accepting Christ that night. I led him to the Lord, and um, it was a Saturday night. 
It was a Saturday night, so he said, will you come follow me over to my house? I want you to meet my parents. And so I followed him over to his house and met with his parents. And they said, Jay, you don't understand. We were in a prayer meeting and we felt like something bad was going to happen to our son. And we were interceding for him. And then it changed. Where are you going with this today? Your life matters in the lives of others. You may not see it, but your life matters. God has a plan and purpose for every one of us in this room today. Years ago, when I was running from God, I was at the dope man's house, and I had taken a lot of drugs that night, and I, I felt like I was dying. I felt like I was going in and out of consciousness. The next day, I was fine. Well, that afternoon, I don't know how this lady got my phone number. Her name was Jane Howard. I don't know how she got my phone number, but she called me and she said, are you Jay? I said, I am. She said, God woke me up last night in the middle of my sleep and had me intercede for you the entire night. I seen your face 12 times in the fire. Do you know what that means? I said, I do. I almost died last night 12 times. And if I would have died, I would have went to hell. She said, you're correct. You need to stop running and get your life right with God. It was a couple weeks later, I found myself in Teen Challenge. But what if she would not have been obedient that night and not prayed for me? Would I be here today? Probably not. We have to understand that the Spirit of God wants us to have ears to hear and eyes to see his Spirit. Because outside the walls of this building this morning is a world that is hurting, that's broken, that's desperate. And God wants to use us to make the difference. God wants to use us to be kingdom builders, to, to build his kingdom. You see, Jesus is a gentleman. He's not going to barge your door down and make you do anything you don't want to do. He'll stand at the door and knock. And if you open the door, he will come in and he will have supper with you. It's dark outside the walls today. So many times as believers, we are so, we live in such a bubble that we really don't want, really understand what the reality is. But I, I tell you what, doing inner city ministry for 22 years, I know what reality is. I know what it's like to, to trust God and believe God to protect you. Years ago, I remember I had a pastor visiting with me, and it was a Sunday after, it was a Saturday uh, afternoon, and we were a block from our building, and all of a sudden everything changed in the end. So on my side of the van, 20 some gunshots going off, and I realized I'm in the middle of a drive by shooting. The driver pulls out of the parking lot, shoots up the uh, three cars behind me, and six people got hurt. We understand what it is. You don't have to persuade me that I need to pray in the Holy Ghost. You don't have to persuade me that in the midst of darkness, if Jesus doesn't show up, there is no hope. We are the salt and we are the light. People around us say they know if we're real or not because they can sense the Holy Spirit in us. I never seen people that were demon-possessed till I got to East St. Louis. That's a dime a dozen. At this point, you don't even have to do anything. If you're a group of uh, believers and you're standing in front of the church, people walk by and they'll start manifesting demons. We've seen that a dime a dozen. Years ago, uh, we had a prayer meeting going on. We're an hour into the prayer meeting on a Thursday night, and a gentleman walks into the church. He levitates an inch off the ground. Then he slams down to the ground. And he starts manifesting demons, and we cast demons out of him. 
where we planted our, our Spanish-speaking church in the last two years, they've had three or four dozen people manifest demons on Sunday mornings. It's because of the atmosphere. You see, I learned something about demons. Demons will only manifest when they're threatened or they're provoked. And the church in America today never gets to that place. We've got to turn up the heat. We need to get ourselves in the Shekinah glory of God. We need to get ourselves in a place of, of, of being in a place that we're on the carpet and we're wailing and we're weeping because of the people outside the walls of church. They need Jesus. And you guys are off to a very good start of that because it was amazing to see how many was here for the prayer time. I haven't seen that in a long time. Can I say this this morning? The Assemblies of God is in trouble. We are losing our Pentecostal verver. We're, we're, going, we're going over here because it's easier to pad chairs and, and, and keep people happy and cozy. We have to break out of that. We need to get to a place that we understand the heart of God for the city. We have to understand what God feels when he sees people that are lost and broken. They have no hope. Years ago, I, I seen this big guy. He was a big guy, probably 350, 400 pounds. He's a big dude. I see him hanging out at the liquor store. There's a liquor store. It's like a block from our, our church. And he used to hang around the payphone. And then one day, I, I, I seen him go into this abandoned building right next door to our, our church. And I didn't really think much of it. And the next day, I thought, I bet that guy lives in that building. So the next day, it was Sunday. I went over to that building. I began looking in the windows of that building. It's a burned out building, rats, rat infested, people just dumping junk off. And as I was looking in those windows, there was that guy sleeping on milk crates on cardboard boxes. And I startled him. And I woke him up. And I said, hey, I want to invite you to church this morning. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, look at me, Pastor. I'm homeless, I stink, I'm a crack addict. Your church doesn't want me. I said, that's where you're wrong. I said, if you, if you want, you can, I can get you in the side door, we get some stuff and get you cleaned up. I just want you to come church today. Do you know he came? Do you know he came for a month? And I got on my pastors and I said, don't be all religious with him. Just let the Holy Spirit do a work. Because here's the thing, we can't change anybody. It's not our job to change people. That's the Holy Ghost's job. Our job is just to love people where they're at. And I say it all the time, sometimes we need to love Jesus in people and love the hell out of them because people live hellish lives. He kept coming. And it was a Sunday I was out speaking somewhere. One of the pastors called and said, hey, James wants to go to Teen Challenge. I said, you tell James to be ready in the morning, right for that church at 8 o'clock. I will be glad to take him there. And so then I called Shamika. She's the pastor there of the church. I said, hey, what's your husband doing tomorrow? She said, nothing. I said, well, tell him he's going on a trip tomorrow. Because <laughs> I don't know James. And it's always good to have backup. And... and, and Jay, uh, and George, he earned the position because one morning he was the door greeter. And as people are coming to the church, a guy pulls a knife out on him and is trying to rob him. 
And George, said, George says to the guy, sir, I'm going to ask you to put that knife away or I'm going to have to hurt you. And the guy took off running. <laughs> so he earned his respect in my book. That's the kind of guy I want running with me if I'm taking someone somewhere and I don't know anything about him. I want some backup. And so I, we took him two hours away to Teen Challenge and, and as soon as he got in there, there was this big old uh, jar of candy, and James was picking handfuls, stuffing in his pocket. I'm like, bro, don't start getting ghetto. You just got here. You can't be pulling that ghetto card like that. What's wrong with you? He stayed. And when he got his 12-hour pass, we took the speed light van up there and picked him up and brought him back to East St. Louis. Because he wanted to go back to the streets to show people that he had changed. And I remember he had a leather jacket on. It was in the wintertime and this guy gave, he took his jacket off and gave it to the guy. When he graduated, we were there for him. I took a whole van full of people up there to his graduation. When he graduated Teen Challenge, he went on staff. And then he came back and we, we provided a place for him to say, where are you getting at? If we're going to see people get changed, we have to invest in them. We have to invest in people. In a room this size, there are ministries that are waiting in the birth canal of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't do it, then nobody will. Why? Because God created you to do that and no one else. I'm just like you, I'm nobody special. People ask me 22 years later, how are you, you got 10, we have 11 plants in 10 cities. How are you doing all this stuff? And I tell them, I don't know. I've just been winging it with the Holy Ghost this whole time. <laughs> I'm really not that, I really don't know what I'm doing. All I know is I have an ear to hear and I have eyes to see what the Spirit wants. And when he speaks to me, I'm obedient. Even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make any sense, your greatest Critics will be right there behind you, pushing you along the way. But boy, they're, on your, they're right there with you when they see that God's in it and God's doing something. I remember when we planted that Spanish-speaking church in, a, in an all-black neighborhood, and people said, what are you doing? You're out of your mind. That's not going to work. I said, that's what God said to do. I mean, I got ridiculed, but I'm used to it. In this kind of ministry, if you don't have uh, skin as thick as leather, you won't make it very long. I said, that's what God wanted us to do. And, and so when we, we had these two buildings given to us, in July of 07, I began to pray and ask God to send a pastor. Do you know it took 13 months to pray through to get the right pastor? 13 months. And then one day I get a phone call from a guy named Ricardo Valdez. How many know that's Hispanic? <laughs> he said, I was given your name and number and heard that you plant churches. I said, well, let's meet tomorrow at Cracker Barrel. I called Shamika. I said, Shamika, you got to meet at Cracker Barrel tomorrow. 12 o'clock, be there. This could be important. And so we get there, and we met Ricardo, and he was in a suit and tie. He looked like a pastor. And so we're sitting there, we're eating, you know, getting ready to order our food, we're talking, and I see this other guy walking in. This guy does not look like a pastor. He's got tattoos all over him. He looks like a rough guy. He comes up to Ricardo, where Ricardo stands up. They start speaking Spanish, and I'm processing all this. What in the world's going on here? They sit down, 
And as we're eating our lunch, I look at the man in suit and tie, and God said, he's not the pastor. I look at the guy with all the tattoos, and God said, he's your pastor. I said, I'm fine with that. And so I said, hey, guys, I want to take you and show you a building. So we jumped in the speed of light van, took him over to this building, and it was pretty bad. We just got in these buildings, so it was pretty bad. There was all kinds of junk in this building. And I made a commitment that day. I said, within the next year, we'll launch you guys as a church. One of you guys is the pastor. So we made a commitment that day. Got back to Cracker Barrel, dropped them off, and I said to Shamika, which one's the pastor? And she said, well, pastor, while we're eating lunch, God spoke to me and said, it wasn't the man with the suit, it was the man with the tattoos. I said, good, you heard from God too. That's the whole reason I brought her, because she has ears to hear and eyes to see. And this was a big moment. And so I, I hired Ramon right on the bat, and five months go by, and he says, pastor, I have to confess something to you. I said, what is it? He said, by the time I was 39 years old, I've spent 20 years in prison. I'm a convicted felon. I said, Ramon, that's water underneath the bridge, bro. I'm not going to dig up your past. I said, how, how did we get to this point? And he said, well, in July of 07, God spoke to me in Las Cruces, New Mexico, to move up to the area. And then a year later, we connected. I said, what's your story? He said, well, I spent time in three different prisons because I was so violent. They moved me from, uh, uh, from Santa Fe, New Mexico, to New York. And then from New York, I, I did time in a prison in Missouri. And I did a lot of cons uh, consolidatory confinement for fighting and for tattooing. And one day, someone slid a Bible underneath the door, and I began to read the Word of God. Then I gave my life to Christ. He said, it was out in the wreck yard that I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, and then they released me. I'm just telling you a story. He said, I moved back down to Las Cruces, New Mexico. And then I found a small Assembly God church there, and I, I plugged into it, and that's where I met my wife. And then for five years, every weekend I'd go to Juarez and do street ministry. And then one day God said to me, Ramon, I have enough Ramones here. I need you to go up to the East St. Louis area and plant a church. And he'd been circling for a year while I was praying for a year to plant a church because I knew you can't just stick anyone in that position over there because they won't last. And in, in, in 2010, the mayor of Washington Park was shot twice in the chest and killed in his car in broad daylight. We found a teenager a few years ago been shot in the head, face down, was pulled blood in our church parking lot. It happened on Saturday night. So on Sunday morning, not only are we having church, but there's a live homicide scene going on out in our parking lot. I mean, it's, it's crazy what goes on in the hood down there. And I knew that he was it. You know why he's been with me 15 years now? He's a solid dude. That dude is unshakable. He's, he, he, he goes after God. And because of that, they have a lot of deliverance in their church. You see, if you're willing, God will get you where you need to go. Half the battle's us. We fight God tooth and nail with what he wants us to do because either we feel like we can't do it or we shouldn't do it or we're not, you know, we're not created to do it. And that's all reasons why you need the God to do it in you and through you because we can't do it on our own. If we could do it on our own, we wouldn't need Jesus. 
We need him. God will always call us to do what is impossible with men and possible with him. The more impossible, the more crazy it sounds, probably the more it is God. Because he, 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 he has us, he, I mean, think about some of the prophets in the Old Testament, some of the craziest stuff he, that he had those guys doing. We need to allow the Holy Ghost to work in us and through us. We are living in a day that you are no longer, you, you can't be in the middle ground anymore. You're either a spectator or you're a participator. Jesus is coming soon. Never in the history of mankind have so many prophecies been fulfilled all at the same time. It is happening. We're going to see it. I believe it. Why is that? Because the Bible says that when Israel becomes a nation, there will be one last generation and the end will come. We're 74 years now. We're at the last seconds of the midnight hour. He's coming. God has a plan purpose for every one of us today. Teenagers up to those of you that are retired. The church must find new and creative ways to engage with the lost and the unchurched. Because what we're doing is not working. The church cannot cannot hold back the truth from the culture of offense. We're going to offend this culture. You know that, right? Because the gospel offends people because of truth. Because when people get into the conviction of the Holy Spirit, they get crazy. But God wants to use us to to the people that are causing the craziness in our country. The truth convicts, and the truth will also set the captive free. Wherever there's truth, conviction follows. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. The health and wealth of a church is built on prayer. Those are some of the things God spoke to, spoke to me this morning as we were in, in the time of prayer. When a church reaches a place of brokenness for your city, then God will give you the city. We have to understand what it means to be broken for our city before we can reach it. We have to know the needs of the city. That's how we've done all these different urban outreaches. It's not one model set on how we do it. There's 10 different models right now of how we've been doing it. Why is that? Because we've been building a, uh, we've been building a pipeline. We've been building a, a system that as we continue to plant urban outreaches in other cities, we have worked out all the kinks. My favorite scripture is Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. What God wants you to do does not exist, but you have to step out in faith to do it. You have to go. My whole life has been built on faith. I know I have the gift of faith. I wear that thing out every day. I mean, how, how can you run 10 different inner city plants and be debt free? It's hard enough to do it with one. We have 10 of them. We run all of our stuff debt-free. Matter of fact, we have three policies that we have in play. Policy number one, if it's God's will, then it's his bill. 
Policy number two, if you send it, we will spend it. <laughs> Policy number three, if it's free, it's me. That's how we, that's, that's, the, that's the secrets of the Holy Ghost. That's how we've operated this ministry for 22 years. We're not gonna shift, we're not gonna change because inner city ministry cannot sustain debt. It's never been my ministry, it's always been his. You know, early on, um, my first service as a, as a missionary was at First Assembly of God with Pastor Tad Finch. And Pastor Ted says to me, hey, bro, we're going to give you $100 because you probably won't get much more than that from a youth group. Well, I went out to the, there's some lakes out on the east side of town. And I went out there and I was praying. I said, God, I don't know what to do. This is my first uh, service as a missionary. What do I do? And God spoke three things to me that day. He said, challenge my people, preach my word, and never talk about or ask for money. He said, I'll take care of you. And so I, I go to this youth group and I preach knowing that I have $100 guaranteed. And they took up an offering that night with 75 kids and the offering came out to $910. $1,010 from a youth group of 75 kids. And they picked us up for $100 a month support. So I learned that night what it is to trust God. That was, that was the foundation that he laid for me. A church that is active with evangelism, outreach, and missions is a church that is healthy and after the heart of God. It's not about us. It's about the people outside the walls of the building. It's never been about us. You see, the problem with the church today is we're running on the twofold and we've kicked out the threefold. What do you mean? We've kicked, we, we're running on the pastor and teacher anointing, but we've kicked out the apostle, prophet, and evangelist. You have to understand, God is a God of order. And when the fivefold ministry is aligned and it's doing what it's supposed to do, and, and then the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation, they're doing what they're supposed to do, then we, can, we have, actually have a chance of entering into revival. But everything has to be aligned according to the kingdom. After we um, planted Ramon's church, I heard God say, I want you to reach the Bosnians. I was like, Bosnians, what are you talking about? You're not going to make me go to Bosnia, are you? Lord, I still remember my first missions trip and master's commission going to North Africa. I remember we were smuggling Bibles into the country and we got detained by the government and was questioned for six hours. I rode in two different paddy wagons. I've never been in a police car. If I go on a mission trip, you know, I ride in two different paddy wagons. What, what, what do you want me to do with these Bosnians? He said, they're over the river. And I researched it. What I found out is I'm, a, I'm in East St. Louis, Illinois. But on the other side of the Mississippi River, St. Louis, Missouri, there are 70,000 Bosnians and 90% of them are Muslim. And nobody was reaching them. That bothers me. And I'm all for reaching missions around the world. But friend, we got the nations of the world right here in your backyard called Purdue University. We have an opportunity to make an impact in people right here. And so I, I, you know, I prayed for nine months that God would give me. It takes forever to pray these guys in, I tell you that. I prayed for nine months that God would give me a guy to plant that Bosnian work. And nine months into it, I get a call from a guy named Andrew Austin from Janesville, Wisconsin. 
He said, I was given your name and number and heard that you plant churches. I said, so what's up with you, Andrew? He said, well, I applied to be a world missionary to Bosnia and they turned me down, said I didn't have enough experience. So as I researched the Bosnian populations, he said, there are 10 populations here in the United States. The largest one is in St. Louis and I feel called to reach them. And I said, congratulations, Andrew Austin. You are our church planner. And he said, wait a minute, you don't know me. How can you say that? I said, Andrew, I've been praying about this for nine months. I don't need to pray anymore. You called me. I didn't call you. If you don't do it, God will find someone else. But you're supposed to do this. So he agreed. He did it. I remember we were getting in the phase where we're going to have to get a building. And Andrew's saying, "Uh, what do we do? We have to get a building. I said, well, I'll tell you what. You can't go get a loan for a building. I said, God either has to speak to someone to give you a building or God has to speak to someone to give you money for a building. I said, so I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, in East St. Louis, I bought, three, I bought four buildings for $33,000. The best building's a brick building. I got that for seven grand. For 50000 total, you have a nice church and old uh, drugstore that's set vacant since the 70s. So we begin to pray, and do you know God, he spoke to two multi-billion dollar Christian companies. And it wasn't the CEOs of those companies wrote the checks, it was the wives. (laughs) One is a, um, it's a store where you buy decor. And the other is an ice cream company. They both wrote checks for $50,000 each and we bought that building for 100,000 cash. It's the only time it's happened, but you know what? It worked. That's what needed to be done in that season. We're in Phoenix, Arizona. There are 35,000 homeless people in the city of Phoenix. Do you know last year we pulled 511 people off the streets and put them in programs? Already this year, we're at 22 people that we've taken off the streets. That's women into prostitution, runaways, you name it, they're there that God's given us grace to reach them and get them out of that environment. Some put them on buses, send them back home. But we made an impact. And we're making an impact. Matter of fact, they're making such a big impact there that they launched a second campus last month. So we have two urban outreaches now in Phoenix because the needs are so great there. In Cleveland, Ohio, <clears throat> excuse me, when the Willards went to Cleveland, Ohio, I said to them, you guys should probably live outside the city and drive in. They said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to live in the city. I said, well, you should probably do a couple things and get a big ADT sign put out in your front yard and then get a big barking dog. Uh, uh, It doesn't matter what. It could be a doodle poodle, whatever. He just needs to have a large bark. Now, I have a giant schnauzer. He's a big black 100-pound dog. He has got a growl and a bark. The, the solicitors, when they make it up the driveway, they don't even make it to the sidewalk. They turn around and leave. Bob said, we're not going to do that. We're going to live in, in the Buckeye neighborhood. And so they did. They bought a house there in the neighborhood. They hit the ground running. They started doing ministry from day one. And what happened was it forced them to have to plant a church in their house. Could you imagine on Sunday mornings and Thursday nights having 20 to 40 people from the hood in your house? Well, then they started after-school tutoring program. Monday through Friday, they'd have over 20 kids tutoring them in their house. 
And then the most amazing thing happened. The 1,600 square foot house next door came up for sale and the bank sold them that house for $500. Well, I'll tell you what kind of neighborhood you're in if you can buy a house for $500. Come to East St. Louis, I can get you a house for six. So they, they planted that church in that house. A few months went by and the bank called them up and said, hey, we have this old tavern. It has a large building attached to it and a two-bedroom apartment. We would like to sell you the building. So Bob says, well, how much do you want for it? They said, we'll let you have it for $500. And so they wrote the check out, bought the building. Six months went by and the bank called Bob up and said, can you and your wife come to the bank? We need to talk to you. So they go to the bank, not knowing what's going on. And the, the manager of the bank says, look, we see all the ministry and all the stuff you're doing in that neighborhood. And so we want to reissue you a check for $500 and just give you the building. Do you understand that, that banks take our money? They don't give us money. And the building right now is, is almost finished with renovation. It's called the tavern. It's going to be a coffee shop. I know, I didn't come up with that idea. <laughs> it's going to be the place where they meet for their church. If we'll just be open, God will do what he needs to do. But we have to be open and willing. In Denver, Colorado, we do what we call community dinner church. At 5 o'clock, people start waiting in line to get into the building. At 6 o'clock, when those doors open up, that building is packed. And I don't know how the Holy Ghost does it, but in the stench of homelessness and alcohol and marijuana, he shows up every week and changes people's lives. As these people are getting a banquet-style meal, we're not doing hot dogs and Kool-Aid and a bag of chips. They're getting a banquet-style meal. As they're um, getting fed, then um, Isaac does a 15-minute gospel story. He preaches all the four gospels. And then they open up the blessing closets, and that's where people can get coats and gloves and sleeping bags and tents and the things that they need to survive through the winter. Two more stories. In New Orleans, we don't have a building. We had to get creative. And so Josh bought a double-axle cargo trailer, much like what you put a race car in. And he had it outfitted into a commercial kitchen. So now we're not in just in one place. We can go to the 7th Ward. We can go to the ninth Ward. We can go anywhere underneath the I-10 bridges. And we can cook meals for two to 300 people and have church right on the spot. The church is not a building. We are the church. Wherever we are, wherever Jesus is, that's the church. Our church. 10th Urban Outreach, the foundation's being laid right now in Indianapolis. Chris Padre will be here tonight. So Chris and I were batting around, how can we reach the people in Indianapolis? You, you have to understand our ministry has always been about the least of these. It's reaching the people nobody else wants. It's the people that are drug addicted. It's the people that, that are going through life's controlling problems that some of us have no idea how to deal with. It's the people that Jesus sees those people and he loves those people as much as he loves us. So we, we were trying to figure out what's the best way to reach people and Chris said, man, you know what we should do? 
we should get a, uh, a double, like a small little trailer that you pull and have a men's and women's shower made out of it so that we would have a place where we could instantly just go into a community and people can get showers. And so I said, let's do it. So we found a, an RV company up in northern Indiana, and uh, that, that, that was $32,000. So I wrote the checkout for the 10%, and Chris said, well, wh where's the rest of the money coming from? I said, I don't know. That's not my problem. That's his. I did my part. I mean, he always wants 10% of our ties, so I gave, him 10, I gave them 10% of what they asked for. And do you know, a couple of days later, I got a text from those people that own that ice cream company. They said, we, we want to buy that for you. And so they paid, they paid for it. So it was paid before we even got it. So what we're going to do is we're going to take it into the places in Indianapolis where the homeless camps are. We want to get um, beauticians and barbers to donate their time. And then we'll bring a grill in there. And it'll just be one day of hope. Do you know what the number one need is with homeless people? The number one request, socks. Homeless people love socks because you can only wear them so long and then when your feet stink and you can smell it, they stink. And so we, you know, we, we do the sock thing. But I, I want to say this to you this morning. Thank you for supporting our ministry. Because of your monthly support, you do make it um, for, you do make it possible for us to, to do this. I have the largest U.S. missionary budget in the Assemblies of God. Last Friday, it was at 25.52. I, I needed to be at 26.755. Today, it's 27.250. $2,100 came through in a week of pledges. And so we're grateful. We're fully funded, and we're going to continue to plant churches and reach people that that are the least of these. Amen? God bless you all.